You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Stu Smith, SVP at Fullscreen. Stu, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, James. I'm excited to, to be here. Yeah, same here. Glad we get to do this. We are uh, um, both in Los Angeles, but uh, recording from home due to COVID restrictions. But it's great to see you and um, excited to chat a little bit more about your background. I thought we'd start, you know, you, you launched your career in the music industry. So I was curious, you know, what initially attracted you to the music business? It's a good question. And let me correct the record uh, just briefly, because I'm actually in Oregon right now. Oh, hey, look at that. LA. Okay. Uh, spending a little bit of time in beautiful central Oregon, uh, and, um, so we'll, but, but hopefully soon we get to actually see each other in person. That's right. Back in LA. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I've got family in Eugene, Oregon. Um, so that's a, that's a beautiful part of the world. Awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we love it up here. Nice. Um, so, so your question was about music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh let's see where where can i where can i start there um so i i might just go all the way back uh let's do it that's what we're here for yeah cool so um growing up my uh my dad worked in in finance um in in banking and i i really loved what he did or, or so I thought, I mean, I, you know, as a kid, you only kind of, uh, get exposure to some, you know, small part of what your parents are doing. Uh, I think in today's, in the COVID world, you probably get a lot more exposure as a kid, uh, to, to your parents' jobs. But I thought, you know, it seems like a really cool job, but banking seems really boring. And, uh, and so I was like, well, how do I, is there something similar that I can do, uh, you know, focused on, um, you know, business and strategy and, and, and revenue growth, things like that. But is there a way to do that in an industry that's more fun? <laughs> um, and, and that was really uh, the, the kernel uh, of the idea for me as, you know, growing up in, I don't know, middle school, high school. Um, and we had this program at my high school that actually allowed you to to do an internship, um, in, in your senior year. Uh, I don't, I think it was only like a month long internship. Um, so I took advantage of that and, uh, and there was a radio station and I grew up in the Chicago area, um, where by the way, there's not much of a, um, uh, mainstream music industry there you know there's a lot of um you know blues and jazz and things like that um and and there are a few companies that are music focused there but you know nothing to the extent of la or new york or london um were you playing music were you in a band in high school or no i i have zero music (laughs) talent um and in fact uh we were joking because my uh, my brother and his wife are are here staying with us, uh, and they've got twin ten month old babies, oh, and um, and and so my niece Nora is very. It's very clear, you know, she can't even talk yet, but you can just tell that she is a musical 
person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the joke is that that does not come from the Smith side of the family. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so no, I was, I was just more interested in, you know, business. Um, and, and I, I enjoyed music and I, I played a couple instruments and things like that, but I, I just was, you know, it was not happening for me as a, as yeah. a performer. And it wasn't actually my, you know, my, my, my hope to, to be a performer. I, I think, you know, for me, um, being behind the scenes was actually more, more interesting. Yeah. Uh, I had helped out at, you know, even some kind of local, um, uh, theater productions and I would help out with like the lighting crew or the, um, you know, there was one where somebody had to fly and, you know, setting up the rigging to, to yeah. do that, which actually sounds scary now thinking back to that. Like, did we actually <laughs> know what we were doing? 17 year olds do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think I was like 11 at the time. I mean, there were, wow. okay. adults, yeah. there were adults involved, but yeah. still, um, so, uh, no. So, th- so what was interesting is I, I did this, um, I found this radio station that, was new ish it had kind of uh i don't know had new ownership and um i think they were trying to develop sort of a new format that that fit somewhere between um alternative or at least what at the time what was called alternative um there was a radio station called q101 uh in chicago that was uh you know really the dominant um you know station in that space um, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was big. So it wasn't like so alternative that, that it was really niche. Um, and, and so they were trying to find something kind of between that. And, and I think at the time there was, um, there was sort of this like college rock genre, um, maybe like the, you know, Jack Johnson's of the world, people like that, um, that was developing, um, and then there, you know, was sort of adult contemporary, which, uh, you know, which was geared more towards adults. And so they were, they were trying to find this middle, you know, zone, which didn't ultimately, uh, work, but it was, you know, it was cool while it lasted and it was something that I enjoyed listening to. Um, and so they, so I just apply, I don't know how I even got in touch with them. Um, and there was a guy that I had listened to that, that ran this new music local new music show on Q101. His name's James Van Nosdal. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, and and he had moved over to so I think that was kind of how I got um you know got on my radar and uh and so I I got the internship and they yeah. were like we've never had an intern before, you know, just kind of I don't know, just help. Yeah, you, you, you figure it out. I've had a few internships like that. I remember. <laughs> yep. Did you yep. just fall in um, love? Was it like you immediately sparks flew? You're all about music? Uh, the music part. Yeah, not, a, yeah. you know, the radio part was kind of. Sure. Okay. Um, but they were, um, they were kind of sponsoring, uh, you know, shows and having artists come in to get interviewed. Um, and, and so I, you know, I mentioned Jack Johnson earlier because he came to mind because he was one of the ones that, mm. Uh, I think they sponsored like an in-store radio or sorry, in-store, you know, performance and then had him, you know, to the station to do an interview. And um, that day they kind of were like, okay, Stu, you're here. Just, you know, connect with the guy that's, 
his tour manager, you know, is kind of his person on the ground and um, whatever they need, if they need waters, if they need, you know, a, a taxi or if they, what, whatever they need. Um, and, you know, because it was these kind of two events, it, it sort of lasts sure. all day. So I, you know, just, just was asking this guy questions and um, was really intrigued by um, that, the, again, the business side behind it and, and what all um, it took. And, and, and the idea of being on the road was not all that appealing. Um, yeah. You know, that's, I mean, they were like, I think he wasn't, um, he was starting to get pretty known, but he wasn't um, as, as known as he is today. And, you know, they're driving around like a little rental car and um, it did not <laughs> seem not that as glamorous. glamorous as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, you know, but was just really interesting when you think about it from, again, from a business standpoint and uh, you think about how someone like that um, connects with an audience and, um, you know, how those events help uh, grow the audience and, um you know, what it looks like to be kind of on this um, crazy trajectory. Uh, and, and so that was, that was really kind of the, the takeaway. And it led me in, in college to do an internship. Um, again, my, my junior year of college uh, mm -hmm. for a full semester, I went to New York and um, worked with, uh, it was sort of two companies companies combined it was um it was ato records and and mick management um and it was owned by the company i would later go to work for called red light management um and uh and then you know went back and worked with them a little bit again uh my senior year during our our winter term um and and then you know ultimately spent three or four years uh, at the beginning of my career working in music. And, Fantastic. And I noticed, you know, you yeah. spent all this time in New York, but then you ultimately end up making the coast, coast to coast move. You come to LA and you served as the assistant to John Mayer. How did that come about? Uh, so he was um, managed by Mick Management, okay. which is the kind of sister company. And, um, you know, it's funny because in New York, uh, where he was living at the time, um, you know, there were a bunch of interns in it. it I was basically the one that just didn't really, you know, wasn't a fan of his necessarily. I mean, <clears throat> didn't, didn't really, uh, you know, feel starstruck or anything. And so I think I was the, uh, you know, the safe option when they're like, all right, this guitar needs to get delivered to his apartment or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, yeah, continued, uh, did sort of a third internship after I'd graduated um, working as sort of an intern assistant, uh, uh, with him, which was, um, you know, interesting. It was not uh, the kind of work that I really wanted to be doing because, sure. you know, it, it's not that strategic. Um, but again, it's just one of those things where, you know, you get more exposure to, uh, you know, to, to these um, parts of the industry. And, um, and again, it all, for me, it all kind of goes back to like, how does the, whether it's music or, you know, video or any other form of of entertainment or media um you know how, what's the through line what's the connection to the audience yeah. um and and how has that evolved over time and sure. um and that's that's the stuff that's really interesting yeah so one of the questions i like to ask people just because i find it, find it always brings up some fun stories is what's the worst job you ever had was there anything you know back in those early days grant work internships that uh 
that comes to mind? Man, that's a good question. Um, what is the worst job I ever had? Uh, geez. Well, I, so there was one um, in the summertime, I would, you know, try to figure out is there work I can do that sort of like sets me on this path of sure. um, music or entertainment or media. Um, and there was one summer where I ended up uh, working at this radio station and I was in high school um, and I wasn't, they basically said, We're, you're going to do the overnight shift um, and you're not allowed to talk. And so all you're going to do is just make sure that music is playing <laughs> and that the ads are playing when the ads are supposed to play. Uh, and it was, I think it was like midnight to 5 a.m., something oh, like geez. that. Graveyard, that's rough. Um, man, it was it was brutal. And I'm playing like, you know, it's a pop state. So I'm playing like Britney Spears and, um, you know, at the time, uh, all kinds of pop music that, it, that I just, I wasn't listening. I actually listen to a lot more pop music now than, than yeah. I did at the time. Um, and one funny thing and there were a lot of funny things that that uh you know happened there um and, and by the way we would so grew up in chicago but we would, we would go up to like really far northern michigan uh mm -hmm. to a, a little cabin um in the summertime to try to escape the heat in chicago and yeah. um and and so this is like small town small time radio station not you know not like big time in any way mm -hmm. um and and i can't imagine anybody's like really listening at that time of night i mean maybe they were sort of passively listening yep um but but there was one night where something happened it was something technical went wrong where um i i want to say because i think i was using cds at the time and and they were you know you would load them into these case plastic cases and then you'd stick them in so it wasn't like a normal cd player it's you know some kind of special thing that um they had for radio stations uh so you'd stick it in there and you had this whole control board and you know you'd hit play and something happened where it just it either stopped playing in the middle of the song or, or never played and um and so i had this kind of panic moment and then i think what also went through my head was like maybe this is my big break. Maybe this is my moment. <laughs> this is it. This is my shot. <laughs> and they had been very clear, you know, don't uh -huh. talk. Yep. And it's like three in the morning. And I'm like, I don't know, I've got, you know, I can see here, like the rate, the weather report is printed uh -huh. out. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just like hit go on the microphone yeah. and, and started talking. I'm pretty sure I gave the weather report and, and it, I don't know, a couple other things and, you know, loaded up a CD and, That's awesome. and hit play. And, you know, immediately the phone rings and it's the, I don't know if he was the program manager or whatever. And uh -huh. his name is Ron. Lo love the guy. Uh, and he's like, if you ever go on the air on my radio station again, you're done. Wow. Um, so he was so really listening was, at 3 a.m., huh? He's actually paying attention. He, he was listening. And, you know, there's a good lesson there, too. It's like, sure. you know, the guy, clearly I was not trained and didn't know what I was doing. And, yeah. um, and if, you know, it's like, you know, like I said before, it's all about, you know, the audience. For and, sure. 
if he's trying to, you know, that's sort of his product. And if he's trying to make sure that um, what's going out to his audience is, um, you know, it has the right amount of polish uh, or professionalism. Seems um, to me though, like you were thinking pretty quick in the moment and, and, uh, you know, solving a problem. Yeah, it might've been more the, more (laughs) the like, this might be my moment Uh thing driving that. uh, Cause you know, maybe I could have gotten that other CD going a little faster. Yeah. Uh, Love it. It's funny. There we go. So you spend all this time in talent management, right? After you graduate, you work in the music business, you're working in artist management, and then you kind of make this change, right? You transition more into technology, first serving as the director of artist partnerships and BD for CrowdSurge. So just kind of curious, how did that change come about? Um, yeah, so I, you know, again, kind of going back to that idea, that early idea of, um, you know, I really, I love business and I'm passionate about business. Um, uh, at, at Red Light and, and as, a, um, as a music manager, what I found was that there wasn't, there wasn't really that kind of a role. Um, you know, most of the roles in a company like that, which, you know, now looking back, it, it makes complete sense. Um, you know, most of the roles are, are kind of, you know, talent management. I mean, it's a client services business. And, and so you need, you know, people to provide client services and, and you need clients and that's the business. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like, a I don't know, in, in, you know, banking, there's plenty of, uh, analogies, um, with, you know, how, uh, Goldman Sachs works with high net worth individuals, things like that. Um, so what I found was it was, it was fun. Um, I had a ton of respect for the, the folks I was, working for um, and and learned a lot from them about the industry and you know that industry in particular is has has a lot of um, nuances to it and and there are um, you know things that uh, you kind of have to just learn through osmosis um, and you know it's it's sort of like you do things a certain way, but it's kind of, you can't really teach it. You just, you know, sort of absorb, um, or, or you, you know, you get people to absorb and and then they, you know, kind of, uh, take the torch. Um, so it felt like a place that I could stay for a long time and, and really, um, it would be enjoyable, right? <laughs> it would be, you know, fulfilling, rewarding, fun. I mean, what's better than like being able to go to any concert that you uh, want to go to sure. and going to music festivals and, and traveling, you know, the world. And, and that's a good thing as a, as the manager, you don't actually have to like go on the road. Uh, you sort of pick and choose which, you know, shows you'll go out to for your clients um which is great because the you know three months on the road whether you're at the highest you know flying private jets and things like that um it's still just brutal uh and um and so i really i felt like i was at this crossroads and um and it felt like you know one path was uh stay at red light and you know follow that path and um continue to, you know, build up my own book of business, my own client, uh, roster and, um, and that, that, you know, felt like a, a, a great path. Um, but the other path was, 
going back to this kind of obsession with just like how businesses operate um, and, and, you know, w what would that look like to explore? And um, it sort of had, you know, two options. One was uh, go to business school and, um, you know, really learn this stuff. Uh, and, and the other was try to learn by doing. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of the startup route. And so ultimately that's, um, that's where I, you know, landed, I think, you know, ending up on the, the wait list, uh, at Stanford, um, uh, didn't, you know, uh, you in that direction, huh? It kind of yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, it kind of helped make the decision for me. Um, and, and, and looking back, I, um, I think it was the right one. Um, cause I ended up spending six years working in startups and, um, Pretty high profile and, ones, and, right? You spent some time at Teespring, then you went to Omaze working in BD and partnerships kind of throughout. Yep, exactly. And, and, you know, so it's a, it's a good les lesson in, um, you know, trying to look at, you know, what are the things that you're doing, it, it, you know, for people that want to make a, a, a little bit of a career change, um, you know, how do you explain the types of things that you do and how they could translate uh, to another, you know, another industry or another business? Um, and, and for me going to uh, crowd surge, which was the first one, which later became known as song kick, um, which people are probably more familiar with that name, uh, was, you know, it, it helped because it was so focused on the music industry. And so it's like, okay, you check that box. Um, and then it's like, well, what do you do as a music manager? Really? Uh, you know, well, it's a lot of communicating with people. You're just talking on the phone and on emails all day. Um, there is an element of it that is business development. There's an element of it that's uh, sort of account management client services. Um, but even with your existing clients, you're doing business development. You're trying to, you know, secure that next tour deal with Live Nation or AEG. Um, you know, you're working through, uh, I don't know, big kind of brand partnership opportunities, things like that. Um, and so I... I met uh, the the founder and and CEO, and um, he they had reached out because um, they wanted to start to do some work with Red Light, and uh, what was and so we pretty typical in in music is you'll kind of say like okay this is a new thing and and it was pretty focused on direct to consumer ticketing so uh, you know competing with Ticketmaster essentially. Um, which had been done in the past to varying degrees of success. Uh, and, uh, and, and so what you do is you say, well, we've got these new artists that, you know, that we signed recently that, uh, you know, we're not going to just let you start working with Dave Matthews band or Alicia Keys or Luke Bryan. Like, you know, let's start Knows with someone that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little lower risk. Yeah. Uh, and, well, I was really impressed because um, they, you know, worked with a couple of our small artists on, you know, small tours. And um, it was the, the insights that they came back to me with afterwards, um, you know, where they said, all right, look, we were able to sell, I don't know, a couple hundred, you know, tickets. Um, but guess what? We actually, our technology allows you to bundle um, merchandise with the tickets. And 
Um, when we did the analysis, you know, we looked at all the open rate or conversion rate and, and uh, upsell rate. And, um, you know, you guys made an extra $267 or something <laughs> through these t-shirt sales. But if we extrapolate that out and say, you know, at a larger scale, um, you know, the, the fact that so many people are, you know, while they're in that kind of purchasing mode are willing to, you know, to buy this extra product, um, you know, sort of a, a, a different way. This was before that was more standard. Um, and so I, I just love that they were, you know, they weren't saying like, oh, this is annoying that you guys just gave us these like smaller, you know, scale opportunities. Um, it was more, no, we're going to, we're going to really give you some insights and explain how this could, um, benefit you across, across your whole business. Um, awesome. so, so fast forward, I you know, met the, the founder and CEO and, um, and, and we sat down and he kind of floated like, Hey, we're, they were really based in London at the time and had just a small presence in the U S and they were trying to build out, um, a U.S. presence and, and wanted to eventually launch an LA office cause they were all in New York. Um, and you know, so one, one thing led to the, the, the next and, um, and I ended up uh, leaving Red Light. I remember, it's funny, I gave like three months notice. <laughs> um, wow. Which, uh, yeah, it, it, now looking back, I'm like, man, so many people just put in, you know, two, two yeah. weeks notice or whatever. But um, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I think it's a, that that's maybe a little extreme, especially with how junior I was at the time. But, uh -huh. um, you know, there's something the in there about, yeah, yeah, you, you want to, um, you know, you want to kind of like the campsite, you know, leave it better than when you found it and make sure that the transition's smooth and, yeah. um, and things like that. Awesome. And now for the past two years, you know, you've worked at full screen leading uh, creator labs and uh, public figures, creator partnerships, all the different business units kind of that are talent facing. So how did you find out about full screen and, and, you know, what has led to, you know, your focus there? Um, yeah, so it's, I've been aware of it for a while. Um, uh, Trying to think of when I first, when it first got on my radar. Um, you know, I think early, so, I mean, this will go back a while, but there was a company in the music called Topspin um, run by um, Ian Rogers. I don't know if you've, you've come across Ian at all, um, but, you know, great guy who's, who's done some really interesting things in his career and, um, they were also focused on, uh, you know, some of this direct-to-consumer stuff um, in, in music. And uh, there's a woman who worked there as a product manager who I just had a ton of respect for. And, and we worked closely on a couple of projects. Um, and she ended up going to another, she didn't go to full screen. She went to another company like it. And uh, I can remember us, I don't know, it was probably 2011, um, and and we're sitting at uh, a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, and she's trying to explain to me how uh, you know what a beauty creator was, and sure. I, I'm like, you know, so they so you know putting on you know makeup, and then people are watching these, you know, it's like mind is blown, uh, especially as she's starting to talk about kind of um, the scale of it, and. Uh, you know, my contacts with YouTube had been primarily through music. Um, and, uh, and so it was just very, uh, I, I, from that moment, I was really intrigued with the space. Um, and, uh, you know, so while I was at Omaze, I ended up getting connected with, uh, Bo Bryant, who's a GM at full screen. And, um, 
we had, you know, I, I our first meeting, I was kind of like, look, I'm, um, you know, Omaze is an incredible play, you know, company and, and doing some really interesting things and uh, sort of transforming its own business. Um, you know, I'm not really looking to, to leave there. And, uh, you know, and he was trying to hire someone like uh, me, but he's kind of like, you know, doing the same thing, like, <clears throat> you know, we're not in a big rush and we got to find the right person. Um, so we end up kind of uh, once a month or so, we would just meet and do these kind of um, whiteboard sessions and just sort of, you know, talk about the industry, almost a yeah. conversation like this, um, yeah. pretty casual. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, before you know it, he's, uh, you know, I think he and I were both convinced that, um, that it was the right, uh, you know, the right next move. And, um, and so then I, I ultimately joined and, mm -hmm. Um, it was an interesting time. It was, uh, I, I agreed to join before and then, you know, ended up joining right um, sort of as the acquisition by AT&T was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, th those, for some companies, those moments are, you know, we need to really, you know, change our business. Uh, I think for full screen, it was uh, let's, you know, a lot of what we're doing is, is working. And, and so let's really kind of double down in those areas. Um, and, uh, and, and let's be aware of, uh, sort of the larger business that we're a part of and, and sort of, you know, the, the larger industry mm -hmm. and how it's evolving because it's moving really quickly. Um, and, and try to have an eye towards, you know, way down the road. Um, you know, can we, can we sort of predict where the puck is going and, um, and, and, and set ourselves up for that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and at the same time, uh, do all the things you got to do with the business, which is, um, make sure that you've got, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a well-oiled machine, so to speak, um, that, you know, things are, are working and, and people are clear on, uh, what the mission is, um, <clears throat> and that you've got, a great culture because it, you know, what happens at, uh, you know, what can happen at, at really large companies. Um, and, and this is where I think startups and, and tech have done a, a good job of taking, you know, small team culture and scaling that to, um, you know, the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Um, but, you know, there's always that risk of, do you lose the culture? Um, and, and so there, you know, been a lot of focus on on that and uh and, and that can be you know can be hard to do especially when you've got really ambitious business goals and, sure. and again you're in this dynamic industry and um so yeah uh, so yeah sense. it's been uh, it's been about two years awesome i remember about two years ago the first time we met was in london at vidcon london yes. at a dinner yeah. and, and i think you had you were fresh in right you had kind of just joined full screen and we're still getting the lay of the land but yeah that was uh that was the first time we connected I was, um, and man, the days of traveling, by the way, I know, uh, right? Long gone. I miss it. Yeah. You know, I miss it, but I don't miss it. Actually. Yeah. I, I, the fact that I haven't had to get on a plane in, uh, I don't know, five months or something is, is kind of nice. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, um, you know, that was fun. And, and what I, I just realized, cause, um, I was looking at some social feed this morning and I think you had my buddy Jasper on your podcast. That's recently. right. Yeah. Jasper uh, was my, uh, just my first video, uh, all things video interview. And we had a great time. Jasper and I have known each other for 
a couple of years now and we'd just been playing tag around when to do the interview and he wrote me back he's like it's maybe a year to the date since you first invited me but i finally have a proper microphone let's make it happen <laughs> jasper's terrific he had a lot of fun stories to share yeah, uh, he's a he's an amazing guy, and yeah, when you said London, because I remember I saw him on that trip there, um, and yeah, so that's that's a awesome. small universe. Small, it is okay. a small world, yeah. Sure. So now you know things have changed. Obviously, you mentioned the AT and T acquisition. Now you're part of Warner Media. What is Fullscreen's role within the larger overall Warner Media strategy? Um, you know, a lot of it is uh, keep doing what we're doing. Um, it's it's. Uh, you know, it's, and again, that's where kind of acquisitions differ. There, there are certainly times where um, an acquisition is, um, you know, to fit some piece of technology or part of a business um, into a larger strategy. And there's other times where you say, hey, this, you know, company is doing um, interesting things and has product market fit and, um, and, and the ability to, to scale and to grow and, um, and, you know, serve their constituents, whether it's, you know, customers or clients or whatever. Uh, and so th that's, that's, what's been great is, um, you know, that, that, those are pretty easy marching orders. Like, you know, keep doing what you're doing, do it better, uh, and, uh, over time and, and, you know, try to the best you can try to predict the future and, um, and, you know, know what's coming so that the business is, uh, set up for that. Yeah, that's awesome. And in addition to your work at Fullscreen, you know, you, you've advised a number of early stage companies and you've also invested in, in several startups through a venture fund you launched with your brother back in 2015 called Cough Drop Capital. I you know, wanted to know a little bit more about that. What inspired you two to, to start a fund? Yeah, it's a great, uh, a great question. Um, and and um, it's fun. It's super fun being able to uh, you know, work with a, a family member, you know, brother. Um, and, and what's really funny is that I, I hear, well, when people ask about cough drop, it's two, it's two things. They want to know about the name. And then a lot of people who have a brother, uh, will express to me, like, I could never work with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's never, you know, we're, we're very different and I think have yeah, sure. complementary skill sets. Yeah. Um, and we would, I don't know, we would, fight sometimes playing hockey in the backyard uh yeah. you know growing up and things like that but yep. um you know but it actually works really really well and yeah. but it is funny to me how many people say that they could never do that That's um funny. i'm trying yeah, to get so, my brother to do real estate deals with me so uh yeah, there yeah. you go yeah <laughs> we'll see. um so we started five years ago um i was at Teespring, I was hired by Jack Altman, um, who was my boss until he ended up leaving to go start a company. And uh, and, and Jack, um, when he left, uh, you know, my first question to him was, I mean, there was all this sort of transition stuff, uh, as you can imagine, but, um, you know, I was like, forget about all that. Like, number one question is, I don't know what company you're starting. I don't know who you're starting it with, but will you please, please let me become an investor? Um, and I was like, by the way, I know you have your choice of any yep. investor in the world. Yeah. Um, because he just, you know, had such a great track record and, and great relationships. Um, and, uh, and so he did. And, and at that, at that moment for about two weeks, uh, the company was, um, 
completely different. I won't say what it, what it was, but it was consumer facing um, and, and just completely different, had a different name. Um, but, you know, within a couple of weeks, they evolved the idea and it became uh, Lattice, which is um, a B2B uh, software, um, you know, so they say SaaS. I mean, I don't, a lot of people watching this, uh, you know, might not know what that is or, or, or might, but, you know, software as a service and, um, and, and Lattice is uh, solving a lot of the challenges that, um, that we had at, at Teespring and, and, you know, would talk about in terms of um, performance management and, you know, goal setting and, and alignment um, and, you know, just a, an incredible um, product. And, and they uh, have done very, very well and um, have raised... Uh, money at a, you know, much, much, much higher valuation. Um, I can't remember if the most recent one is public, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, but, um, you know, Jack is one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite bosses ever. That's awesome. uh, and, you know, gave, gave us that opportunity. And, and by the way, so the first call I made was to my brother to say, hey, you know, we're both kind of in this tech world. Why don't we do this together? And we had talked about investing long-term, but, um, you know, for us, it's, it was like, what's the crawl walk run. And, you know, that was sort of the crawl stage. Um, and we, uh, you know, we felt like it was a good, it was going to be good learnings no matter what. We didn't know if the company was going to be ultimately successful. Most startups fail, even when they have the best founders and the, and, um, you know, things seem like they should go right. Uh, but we knew that we would get some learnings and, and we also knew that it would start to give us uh, that, that experience and that traction um, that, you know, you can, you can just wait for five, 10 years and like go straight to the run stage, but um, it's actually better to approach it and, and try to learn along the way. Yeah. Um, early. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, so we did that, and then um, about a year, year and a half later, uh, invested in a company called Superhuman that um, at the time was uh, not as well known as it is today. Um, and, uh, and so both of those investments um, did really well. And, and what was interesting for us is, you know, we, we kind of have this unique challenge where we really love our our quote-unquote day jobs um uh, and we also love what we do as investors and we've found that uh you can become a better investor when you're a great operator or, or yeah. i don't not to call myself a great operator but when you're learning things from being an operator and um and then on the flip side you can become a better operator by doing the investment work and um you know it may mean you have less time free time in the day because you kind of you know have two jobs but uh but you learn a lot throughout that process sure. um so so core... we so we did those two companies yeah i'm oh, sorry go ahead i was just gonna ask what is your core investment thesis what is kind of the through line that guides your investment decisions um it it's founder market fit that's that's really um if i had to distill it down to just um you know a really simple it's obviously more you know, there's more that goes into it than that, but uh, at the end of the day, um, that's how we're gonna, you know, make um, decisions. And we can always rely back on that to say, if we're really struggling with something, um, 
is founder market fit there, right? Is is this the 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 right person to tackle this challenge uh, to you know build a company around uh, the solution to a challenge? Because some things are just a product and they're not a company, or some things are a company but they uh, struggle to become a company. Um, and you know, so those it, it those are really hard uh, you know things to solve for. Um, but you know, is this the person who is uniquely of anyone in the world uh, the the right person to build this business? And um, it's a ten year commitment usually as a as a as a founder CEO. So um, are they you know do they have the the resilience? Um, do they have the you know combination of EQ and, and IQ? Um, do they have unique insights that uh, that you know they can look at this particular sort of business or solution or product um, and and they know things that others don't um, and therefore they have an advantage. Yeah. Um, and and so you know it's that again it's like I, I summarize it as just founder market fit. Um, mm -hmm. Cause, it, cause, cause ultimately, you know, that's a, a good way to, to make investment decisions. Yeah. So I'm getting ready to, uh, to write my third angel check and I'm curious for someone newer to the, to the game, like me, what advice do you have, right? If you were going to say, you know, these are the hard lessons we learned along the way, or maybe these are some of the pitfalls to avoid, what would you say to watch out for? Um, you know, it's a good question. And, and we, we were asked this recently by someone, um, what uh, what do you know now that uh, you wish you had done differently in the beginning? Um, and and we couldn't answer it. <laughs> and uh, it's probably just sheer luck, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but what we what hasn't changed is that focus on founder market fit. And so with you know, with Jack, where I had seen him as an operator and I had seen him tackle hard challenges um, and, and his co-founder I had worked with as well um, and uh, was excited to make a bet on them. Um, and, and look, if Lattice had not worked out, I still wouldn't feel like we should have done something differently because it was the right bet to make. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with Superhuman. I mean, um, you know, it's a funny story, but but again, they were they were not the 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 buzzy company um in silicon valley that that they uh you know have been over the last uh year or so um and rahul the founder so we were my brother was one of the earliest users and he gave me a, an invite um which you know i think i don't know there maybe were a couple hundred users at that time so it was, it was super early um and I remember, uh, you know, I would email Rahul like once a month and just say, hey, I, you know, I, I, I have this invite, like I'd really love to get onboarded at some point. And um, it just, you know, it wasn't at the, the, the top of his priority list at the time. And what I know now is that um, he was really heads down with the team focused on the product. And he felt like we don't want to start to you know yes it's a paid product and so the more people we onboard the more revenue we're going to earn mm -hmm. um but again going back to the founder market fit he's thinking what is it that the consumer wants yeah. and what is going to um 
in his words, delight them. Uh, and that is, you know, that can be really hard for a team working on a product that they're like, we want this to see the light of day because we think it's awesome. And, you know, he's like, we can make it awesomer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so he ended up, he emailed me on a Thursday and he said, Stu, I'm coming to LA to onboard you obviously lives in the Bay area. So I'm like, okay, okay. Um, you know, are you free at X, Y, Z time? Uh -huh. And he, uh, he, he shows up and he's got a, a bottle of whiskey for me as a gift to say, I'm sorry, it's been, you know, six months or however long. Uh -huh. um, and he sat with me for an hour and he spent the first awesome. part watching me use Gmail um, mm -hmm. to understand uh, just how I use email. Um, and then he set me up on superhuman and, you know, kind of customized a few things and then watched me use superhuman. Yeah. And, and he basically said, you know, stick to it for a day or two. And beyond that, you're good. If you bail on it in the first couple of days, then, um, you know, you, you've given up too soon. Uh, cause it, you know, those things, those habits are hard to yeah. change. Yeah. Um, but, but that was, that just showed that, you know, consumer mindsets that, um, idea of, you know, we're going to make something people want and, uh, and kind of that like product obsession yeah. that, uh, you know, that you want to look for. So, so I guess the advice would be, um, you know, find your unique insight and, um, and, and whatever that is, however you decide to evaluate investments, um, uh, you know, stick to it. And, uh, if it, if you've, if you understand business, then, um, it doesn't really matter if you don't have investment experience. Um, but you know, have, have a thesis and you can always change it, right. You could always go down one path and say, Hey, that that's not working so well. I mean, we've done that a little bit. We, um, we were pretty focused on just B2B software SaaS and prosumer and, um, you know, we're trying to stay away from anything consumer. Um, but fast forward to today, I think, you know, four or five companies in our portfolio are, are consumer focused. And, um, and, and so, you know, you can set these kind of restrictions for yourself, but, um, but you also can, you know, if you're the one making the rules, uh, you reserve the right to break the rules. And, there we go. Uh, and, yeah, iterate your strategy over time. I like it. Well, uh, we just have a little bit of time left, but I want to kind of switch it up, ask you a few rapid fire questions to close things out. One All of the right. things I'm dying to ask you is, you know, big news today, Kevin Meyer uh, says he's stepping down as the CEO of TikTok. Obviously, he didn't uh, forecast the political climate and all the, the, the hurdles they would have to overcome. Uh, what do you think this signals? Is this, um, you know, a sign that the acquisition is looming and he's uh, out for the next gig? Or, you know, is it just that TikTok has got a lot of challenges uh, that lie ahead? What do you think of the whole recent controversy? Um, so I'm not going to comment on that. But what I will say is TikTok has, uh, speaking of unique insights, um, it's really incredible uh, what they have been able to build. And, you know, when you think about what is the, the next 10 years look like in, in media, um, you really, you know, I mean, there's so many unique things about what they've done, but this idea that, uh, you know, you can 
have your phone in front of you and you can be the viewer and then in an instant hitting a button, you become the content creator. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that's, that's very uh, exciting and, and has tapped into, you know, again, make something people want. Like it all goes back to that. And, um, and, and clearly that idea of being able to um, have, you know, the audience be the talent and the talent be the audience and have that all uh, be, you know, interchangeable and all be so fast. Uh, that to me is, is exciting. And um, regardless of what happens with specific companies uh, will be something uh, that, that helps define the next, um, you know, the next 10 years. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I think a lot of people are closely following at the moment is the uh, Epic and Apple showdown, right, over the App Store tax. Uh, Epic, you know, making the case that uh, Apple shouldn't be able to command the 30% the premium for, for sales and in-app purchases and Apple booting it off the App Store. So, you know, w what do you forecast? What's the, the outcome there? Do, are we going to see changes in that ecosystem or, uh, you know, will Apple kind of win the day? Um, you know, it, it's... Uh... I would always bet on as someone who's, you know, works in tech as an investor, um, I, I would really bet on, on kind of developers and, and those leading the charge in, in terms of innovation. Um, so I don't know, I'm sure the details will get uh, worked out, but, um, you know, I, I think that for Apple and for everybody, um, you know, uh, more innovation is, is better um, and empowering developers leads to, you know, great outcomes for everybody in that, that ecosystem. Um, and, and when you look at what, uh, what Epic has, uh, has done, it's, it kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is, um, you know, uh, connecting to your audience and, uh, you know, similar to, you know, you can look at what Uber did in, in the early days, uh, to, you know, rally their users, um, around uh you know trying to you know go around regulations basically You're to get now that uber uh, may be banned in california it's been you know you have to they've watch got it. some yeah and you know and the, but the question is you know do the are those users as connected um you know to them as a as a as a brand as a company um and that'll be interesting to see uh yeah. but you know, it's a good lesson for, you know, any type of company, any type of brand um, to learn from uh, what talent, you know, does, whether it's in film or TV or sports or, or music. Um, you know, there's a lot of power in that. It takes time to, to build and it has to be genuine. And, um, uh, but, but, you know, if, if you do build that, then, um, you know, you, you have that, uh, ability to um you know to to drive change in in whatever you know whatever way you want to i mean you can see what's happening with the nba i think is another great example sure. um and the in some of these industries i think music's a good one where for a long time it seemed like the power dynamics were were off it was like the people in the middle and the companies in the middle were the quote-unquote powerful ones um and i think that's evolved i think that there's a recognition that you know, if you're the one making the stuff, whether it's a product or a, you know, or music or, or you know, some piece of, of content, um, you know, you're what's unique in that whole equation. Um, yeah. Producing and, uh, power and, and the audience. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. The Epic uh, versus Apple case is, is a particularly thorny one because, you know, all of the consumer sentiment, public opinion seems to be firmly on the side of Epic Games, right? And Fortnite and, you know, oh, you know, Apple is this big, greedy, cash-rich corporation, but all of the legal precedent is on Apple's side. So, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not compelled to do business with someone if they want to boycott the platform or not adhere to its rules. Apple's free to kick them off under current doctrine. So, uh, you know, what, I think the, the potential outcome here is the courts rule in Apple's favor and then, and then Congress is now considering, you know, maybe changes to legislation and obviously taking a look pretty firmly at antitrust, not just for Apple, but across the board, actually looking more at kind of Google and Facebook, it seems, or even Amazon, um, even though, you know, like Google is perhaps the worst culprit. Uh, but in any event, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what plays out over the next year or two, because these political dynamics are now impacting what's happening in media and technology. Yeah, and it's fu it's fun to think about, you know, Apple started in a garage, right? And sure. you know, there were these big companies that they were like, "Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to make something better and and yeah. um and so it's interesting how that uh sort of public perception of companies can change over time. Definitely. Stu, one of the questions I ask everyone who comes on the show is just if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do, right? Thinking like an entrepreneur, obviously you work closely with a lot of entrepreneurs on the investment side, you're an operator at full screen, you know, what, what's the white space out there? What, what are the new challenges that you'd love to attack if you had, you know, the free time and, and all the resources to go run it down? Yeah, I mean, I'd be looking, you know, there's always a risk that you start something before um, and, and you're too early, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've seen how, uh, with, with COVID, I think, you know, you can see how trends can get accelerated, but, um, uh, what I would be looking at is, you know, look at the history of media where, um, it, it tends to get better over time. Um, and, and, and you could actually argue a counterpoint to this, but, um, you know, but I think you could argue that, that TV, uh, you know, made radio, you know, made a better thing than radio. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, not only is it just, uh, audio, but you also have the visual element of it. Now I would, and we're on a podcast right now. Um, I would argue in many ways, you know, audio is an underappreciated or, or was kind of an underappreciated medium for a period of time and, um, has now had this really awesome resurgence. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I, I don't think it's quite as simplistic as I'm making it sound, but sure. you can look at these broad trends. And yeah. if today video is everything, um, you know, what I would encourage someone to do is figure out, you know, what is, what comes next. And, and you might have to think like way, way down the road, but yeah. um, you know, what comes next and how do you make something that people want, right? How do you build uh, technology, um, you know, or, or, or some other, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, value piece of value that, that can help, um, you know, people that are wanting to, uh, you know, connect with an audience or, um, you know, be a part of that, that next phase. And, and so it's, no one's got a, a crystal ball and can predict exactly what that will look like. But, uh, if, if someone was, was starting a business today, I would say, you know, try to really look, look forward if you can. Yeah. Awesome. Stu, where can people find out more about you, Cough Drop Capital, and Fullscreen? Uh, great question. So, um, coughdropcapital.com. And we didn't get to the name. I should quickly explain the yeah, name. Tell um, us. So, because we get that question all the time. 
so the there was a company called um, Smith Brothers Cough Drops uh, that forever was um, the the dominant cough drop you know maker. Um, and I don't I honestly don't I get, I need to know this because I get asked all the time. But um, I don't know if it's still around. Uh, but because Austin and I are the Smith brothers. Um, we use the name and our, our, our dad and his brother, our uncle, um, had used the name before. So we kind of actually stole it from them, <laughs> uh, you know, with like some real estate stuff they did and like yeah. this little sailboat we had, uh, and, 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 you know, had, had used that name. So, but anyway, coughdropcapital.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. And I think if you just search my name, you can find me cause I can't, uh, I can never get, keep my usernames, uh, straight across the different platforms. Um, and then, and then fullscreen.com. Awesome. Stu, this has been so much fun. Thanks for uh, sharing your insight from the music business to media and technology to investment. It's been great. So I really appreciate you, you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. And, uh, and you know, once, uh, once things subside a little bit, hopefully we can uh, actually get together in person. Yeah, in we'll LA. grab a beer when, when things settle down. But until then, there enjoy Oregon and, and great to see you. Cool. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.